Welcome everybody to Three Wide in the Middle of Your Home for All Things Racing with me, Thomas Brandon, and Keith Bradley with me as always. Keith, how's it going? What's going on? Oh, not much. Just, uh, you know, sweating my backside off over here in California. How about you? <laughs> uh, doing the same thing, just in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, the only good thing about it is, what was it, yesterday or the day before was like the, the official day of summer like it was like the longest day of the year and so i that's the only good thing about it because now we can start counting back down to winter like i get me back to yeah. get me back to the fall and and the winter because i freaking I could, hate the heat i if i could live in the perfect world where it could be fall temperatures and spring temperatures bring it on oh this hundred plus oh, yeah it's not my cup of tea oh Oh my God. Yes, dude. If it never got above 70 degrees, I'd be so happy. I, it, oh, me too. I just, it, oh my God. I'd be so happy. Um, like it could uh, get up to 80. Just take the humidity away. Yeah. 80 degrees without humidity. It, you're right. The humidity is horrible. That's the, that's like the only good thing about California is we don't have humidity. Like when we get up to like, cause we'll have nights in, in like July and early August where it'll be like 110 degrees during the day. And then at night it'll be like 90 degrees and then it'll get up to like 60 or 70% humidity, which keep in mind, like that's a lot for us, right? Like down yeah. South or where you're at like 70% humidity, you guys are like, this is nothing. This is dry. But to us, like that's a lot. And those, those nights are horrible. They're horrible, man, because it's just, it's just so hot and sticky. So I can't even imagine what you guys have. Well, I can't imagine. I I I, I was in North Carolina for a time. I lived there. It sucks. It's horrible. It's not fun. I think the so our first big hot streak that we started where it was real hot, real humid. I think my AC ran for four days without shutting off. Yeah. See, that's where we're at right now with our our air conditioner, um, especially in the trailer, because it's the, you know, the trailer just doesn't have the insulation like a home does. It barely has anything in terms of insulation and it'll get up to, dude, it'll be like 85 degrees inside by like eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. Ooh. Like it, just the sunlight's on it. Like it just heats up. And so we actually just, uh, met with, um, a company last week, and we're going to be putting the property on solar here in the next couple of weeks. So that'll nice. be, that'll be good. Yeah. Because this just to help with the, the electric bill. Cause dude, they just keep cranking it up, man, here in California. PG and E just keeps jacking up the prices. Yeah. And it's like Duke energy where I'm at. They mm -hmm. sent out a newsletter that try not to use as much electricity because it's overloading the power grid and it's like it's a hundred degrees outside yeah what do you want us i'm to not do? no i'm not turning my ac off yeah well upgrade your stuff exactly that you know and that's the thing that drives me nuts man that's the thing that drives me nuts because i have a ton of friends who work for pg e i have family members who work for pg e and i know what they make they all make very good money the companies make extremely good uh, uh, just huge amounts of money and what drives me nuts is, is every year I keep, all I hear about is how bad the electrical grid is. And it's like, okay, why aren't you, why aren't you improving it? Why aren't you making it better? You know, they're like, oh, well, if we had, if somebody hit the electrical grid and we lost, you know, it would take us two years to get transformers. 
okay, why aren't you building transformers then? What's the what's the holdup? What's the problem? Yeah, like why I don't we, get it. Why can't we? Uh, why can't our electrical companies be a little more prepared? You know what I mean? Yeah, why I can't they have this stuff on hand? And and that's what blows my mind. Like here, it takes if a car hits a telephone pole, depending on where at in the county it is, mm-hmm. it could take two to three days to get a telephone pole. It's like, come on now. You're telling me right now that you don't have a site somewhere that you have telephone poles? You Yeah, see, we're not that really? bad, fortunately. Yeah, we're not that bad. But it's just like if there's, you know, if, if we have a bunch of stuff that goes out, like Transformers or something like that, like they can't get them. It's like, oh, well, you know, we don't, we don't have a bunch of them just made standing by. It's like, why not? Right. And but- like, I've heard this for the entire nation. It's like, dude, look. It's not like you're making those things out of freaking adamantium and mithril, right? Like you right. don't need some elven metal. Like it, it, they're transformers. Like get on it. But for whatever reason, they don't. One one thing I can say about Duke Energy is when we have bad storms and it knocks the power out, it's not out very long. They they're on top of getting it back on. Which thank God. Because having kids and trying to keep them occupied during the day with no power, it sucks. Yeah, PG and is good about that too. Um, they are. Uh, we had a we had a storm come through. Oh man, it's probably been ten years now. Where both Marysville and Yuba City—they're kind of like the two towns that are by each other. Their pow- the power was up like five days, and I remember driving home from work because the casino that I worked at, Calusa Casino, they had on the reservation, they had their own cogen plant. So they had their own power plant and stuff like that. So they were they were fine. In fact, that was like five of the busiest days we ever had at the casino because like everywhere else didn't have power but but the casino did. And I'll never forget driving through those towns, driving through Marysville and Yuba City, and it's like just pitch town. dark. Yeah, and it's a yeah. ghost town. It's so the eerie. most eerie, crazy feeling, man. It's like being in some kind of apocalyptic movie. You know what I mean? You're like, this is what the end of the world would feel like. Yeah. You know, it's just like, well, it's it's just so weird. So, like, here in my town, it's a lot like yours. Like, we have Duke Energy on one side of the county. On the other side, we got a company called REMC. And then in Lawrenceburg in Greendale, which Lawrenceburg and Greendale is like a half a block away from each other. They're basically the same city. Those two cities have their own utility electric department. And it's we we lose electricity more with Duke than the city and the town of Lawrenceburg and Greendale does. Now, now how's that possible? Duke's a lot bigger than Lawrenceburg, which on a good day there might be thirty thousand people. Hmm. It's like what the hell? Yeah, it's a it's incredible. But what can you it's do? a head scratcher. Exactly. What can you do? It's a head scratcher. So so hopefully hopefully the power companies can keep our stuff on so we can keep uh so we can keep cool. Um because yeah, we got a bunch of hot days coming. But speaking of that get to get on to the news of the day here so last week that not not a whole lot going on it was father's day weekend no no cup race or anything like that um we talked for a moment briefly before the show started about the the knoxville truck race um you know we both kind of agreed too that it's not really worth talking about um i mean i've said before you know these dirt races that they want to do with the trucks and the cup cars and stuff like that great but 
but make them dirt races. Take the freaking windshields out. Like, make them dirt races. Do what SRX does. It's amazing how they got it figured out. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, 100%. And and here's my thought on it. And I've spoke my mind on it to a lot of people. If you want to have a dirt race in NASCAR, great. Do it somewhere other than Knoxville and Bristol. Not saying that Knoxville don't put on a good race, but it, it... I turned it off more than I turned it on, if that says anything. Yeah. The Eldora truck race, all of them were amazing. The racing was amazing. The yeah. heat races were awesome. Even qualifying was awesome to watch because you're you're racing on a high-banked oval. Yeah. But I keep preaching that if you're going to race dirt in NASCAR, race in a dirt car. Yeah. Make, make it a, make it somewhat of an all-star race. Bring the prelude, prelude to the dream back and and have some truck guys, some Xfinity and Cup guys. Yeah, in it. do something but. like that. Yeah, I'm with you, man. So, so yeah, not much to really cover on that. You know, Gilliland won. Congrats to him, and we're moving on. Uh, that's about all we're going to talk about. That. Uh, be, right, right quick before we get off the NASCAR subject. Uh, yeah. There's a rumor Chicagoland will be back on the schedule next season. Oh, really? Yep. Now, see... I'm actually okay with that. I actually liked Chicagoland. Um, Chicagoland to me is when it comes to those mile and a half tracks, I actually like the ones like Chicagoland or a Kansas, those ones that have the progressive banking to them. You know what I mean? That those types, I like those. So I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, it'll be interesting to see so, how the schedule plays itself here, out with here's coming what back. Was, right, right. And here's what was leaked. Somebody tweeted out, I recently heard from a season ticket holder at Kansas Speedway that there will only be one Kansas race next year on July 8th, Saturday night, and that NASCAR will be returning to Chicagoland. He was told this when renewing his tickets for the 2023 season. Hmm. Well, I actually like that. Um, I do too. I think I personally, I've been kind of of the belief for a long time now that I think we need to have more, more single race events in terms of tracks that we go to, right? Like there's a couple of tracks. If you want to go to them twice a year, I get that, right? Like I'm all for Daytona or Charlotte you know, stuff like that, you know, like even like a Darlington, right? Like a historic tracks going to them twice a year. But I think, you know, getting more races where we go there once and it's, um, it allowed them to get more different tracks on there, whether it's like something like a gateway, right? You know, that'll get you the opportunity to add more of these tracks and try more of them out. I know over the next couple seasons that, and this has been a really big point, um, from everything that I've heard and the stuff that I've seen is NASCAR's really trying to figure out the tracks and the schedule because, you know, the, the TV deals are, are coming up soon. And that's a very big deal. NASCAR yep. obviously wants to make sure that they can present the best product possible. And when you hear about these TV deals that are being done with things like the NFL or the NBA, where they're just billions upon billions of dollars um nascar obviously wants to get a piece of that pie now they're not going to score a contract like the nba or the nfl but they but they want to obviously maximize their potential revenue and they've got to make sure that they've got a good schedule and a good mix of you know tracks and type that type of thing moving forward so 
I like the idea. I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I it, it's it's kind of a shame that they're getting <laughs> to get rid of a second Kansas race just because I just said I liked Kansas, but I understand it. They are they're they're similar tracks, but different chicago is is definitely more banked than kansas is it does have a little bit of a different shape to it um but it does have that progressive banking and stuff so i've never seen a bad race at chicago i haven't either i actually really like that track it's one of the few tracks that you know when all those yeah when all of those mile and a half were being built that was one of the few that i liked i was like i I like this one this one's a good one my other favorite, I don't think it'll ever be back on the schedule. I think Amazon has finally purchased the uh, property, which is Kentucky Speedway. Yeah, I don't think it will neither. Um, nope. Not after the last cup race because it was kind of, it wasn't very good. No, and Kentucky, Kentucky reminds, you know, I, I've always, Kentucky reminds me of Texas. Texas turns yep. one and two. Yep. It's them big, wide corners, but they're and flat. And you use 15 foot of it. <laughs> yeah, and you can't carry no speed through it. You know what I mean? So that's always been kind of my thing with Kentucky. Um, it Kentucky's one of those uh, tracks that, you know, if it was a little bit smaller, I think it would be cool to see, you know, like maybe the tour mods or like the super late models, right? If it wasn't a mile and a half, if it was like a one mile version of that track, you know, something shrank down more, I think that would be unique. But um, yeah, if Amazon purchased it, they're probably just going to, they're probably going to build a warehouse. on It'll be, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it'll be a, it'll be a packing facility. I know, I know before Amazon purchased it, that's where Ford was housing all their trucks waiting on microchips. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think we'll be going back there. Which, oh, you know, it happens. That's the, that's the part of the, the evolution of the sport. Um, you know, we've, we've lost really cool tracks on, you know, historic tracks, and, and, you know, we've lost some that we should have never have had. So we'll see yep. what happens. But yeah, Chicago Land coming back, that's actually pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, me too. A, that's a good one. But in other news, so. Like we said, no cup race or anything like that. We actually didn't have a whole lot of race in the dirt late models in the Outlaw series. They were rained out. Uh, the events were canceled. Um, the uh, the sprint cars, um, of course, you know, our boy Sheldon Hodenshield went out and swept the weekend at Beaver Dam, which was awesome to see. Um, you know, dude, hats off to Brad Sweet. You know, at the time, Sheldon Hodgshield was second in the points. You know, Hodgshield and Macedo are kind of just, they just keep kind of flip-flopping back and forth. But Brad Sweet Rex with, I mean, what was there? Three laps, four laps to go. Caution comes out. He has to go to the end of the end of the pack. And he ends up still coming all the way back up in just a handful of laps and scored like a, a ninth or tenth place finish. And it's why the guy is leading the points it's because he's so can his level of consistency is just insane um despite the fact that hot shield has got literally six more wins than sweet does he's hot and shield's certain points um because sweet has you know the most top fives and the most top tens in the series so awesome run for hot shield uh Spencer Baston had a good race last night at um, 
Was that last night? Yeah, last night at at Husets. Um, We were talking about this before the show. Heartbreak for Casey Kane. That was sad to see. Uh, um, I was I was hoping Casey Kane was going to get the win. Me too. I was I was really hoping he was going to get the win. Um, Third place, obviously, is nothing to sneeze at, but I was hoping he was going to get the win. But yeah, congrats to Spencer Basin. Husets, you know, we talked about this. What was the last week or week before? Husets is a track that I absolutely love. Um, I've always it's loved Husets. Yeah, it's. It, it I've is. never seen a bad race there. It is, and you know, you've got the uh, this. I mean, this whole weekend, the next three nights, you've got the High Bank Nationals, and it's just a. It's just a really cool track. Um, you know, it's I to me, I like half mile racing. Don't get me wrong. Like I like the half mile tracks, Eldora, Knoxville, like they're all unique, you know, Port Royal, Williams Grove, like those are unique tracks and stuff like that, and they're cool. But to me, I love the like the three eighths mile tracks, the three eighths and four tenths. Yeah. You know, the ones that are you know, and don't get me wrong. I love me some quarter miles too. Like I love silver dollar speedway. I love, you know, those, you know, those tracks that are just the high bank quarter miles are awesome, but the three eighths to four tenths like that, those in between, right. They're not a quarter mile, but they're not a half mile. Those ones that are smack dab in the middle. I love those tracks the most. I just love them. I think they put on, especially when you have them, they're high banked like he sits because they're just so much fun to watch. And yeah, it's delivered and, last night. And, and like, I know everybody hates lap traffic, but it, it actually turns a bad race into a good race because yes. if the leader can't get through lap traffic, then that means you're going to have a hell of a race for the lead for one. And, and last night, well, uh, yeah. I think the, the track narrowed out and it was difficult getting around lap traffic. I mean, hell David gravel took the lead and then ended up wrecking because he couldn't get around a lap car, which is very unfortunate for David because it ended his night. But it 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 turned out to be a hell of a race, mm-hmm. and it gave Casey Kane another chance. Yes, and that's that's one of the the unique factors in dirt racing, though, to me, is lap traffic. Like that's one of the things that makes dirt track racing what it is, because you are on a short track like that. And it is so easy to catch the back of the pack. And you have to, even when you're in the lead, you, you're never just in cruise control, right? Because you catch those lap cars, you've got to get through them. Because all it takes, especially in something like a wing car, where momentum is everything, you have one lap or you break momentum. Dude, yeah. that straightaway lead you had can be wiped out in no time. So yeah. I like it. Mm -hmm. I I like it. it. Yeah. I think it, you're right. It makes it, it, you know, it can make a dull race, you know, exciting and it can make an exciting race incredible. So like, like, yeah, it's aggravating trying to get through lap traffic as a leader, but as a race fan watching a veteran dice through lap traffic Mm -hmm. is amazing. Or even a veteran dicing through lap traffic to catch somebody that's not established per se mm-hmm. chase down the leader and it's i think it puts on good racing yep. i mean don't get me, me wrong i'd love for the lappers to stay out of the way but then again when the track narrows out there's nowhere to go yep exactly yeah oh look don't get it twisted 
if I was an outlaw and I was leading the race, I'd be like, dude, get the out of my way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> As a fan, I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, congrats to Basin. That was an awesome win. I'm looking for, I'm actually really looking forward to the next couple of nights of watching the High Bank Nationals because that's one of my favorite events of the year. It's that's like I said before, it's on my bucket list to go to because um, I've always just really loved that track. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out the rest of this weekend. Um, now, we've got me and Keith are going to be doing something a little bit different today. Uh, I came up with this concept this week because, um, like I said, it was kind of slow in terms of everything that was going on. We're going to be doing a franchise fantasy team draft. I'll kind of explain what that is but before we get to that i got one thing i got to cover because last week i opened with my big rant on the f1 side of things and the teams complaining about the porpoising and the danger to the drivers and my point which is still my position was i thought that was teams that were not able to catch the top the top drivers right the top teams Instead of them trying to elevate themselves, it felt like they were trying to pull the top down to them. Well, the FIA has come out. Um, they were taking data this last week at the Canadian Grand Prix, and they're going to be implementing regulations rules. They haven't come out and done it yet. Um, we don't know the extent of what it is, but it sounds like they're going to be regulating the actual bouncing. And so... This is something that I am actually okay with, and, and I'll explain. If you want to regulate the ride heights, right? If you're if you if you come out and you've got Mercedes who are like, hey, look, we can't we can't figure this porpoising out, and every you know Red Bull they're just kicking our butt, and it's not safe for our drivers, and you know like my point that I made last week to come out and say, all right, every other every team now you need to be at least this high off the ground. When those cars, your ride height is so important because it generates so much of the underbody downforce. That's where these teams who've got it figured out are, are generating the bulk of their speed. To raise the cars up, it's going to hinder performance. All right. I had a problem with that because don't come out and tell me that I'm too good and I need to now drop to your level, right? Because that to me was a problem. But what the FIA is doing, from my understanding and everything that we've heard so far, is they're going to actually be regulating the bouncing of the car. And because that is the issue in terms of the danger to the drivers, that's what they're going to be regulating. And I don't have a problem with that. And here's why. When these guys are slamming into the ground, when this porpoising happens, and you guys, if, if you want to, if you don't know what porpoising is, or if you've heard it and you haven't heard a breakdown of it, just go to YouTube. There's a couple of guys on, on YouTube. If you just type in F1 porpoising, the first couple guys that show up are going to be like the main F1 tech guys. They'll explain it to you and, and get granular with it if you want to learn that. But for the most part, porpoising is just a term that they use because you think of a porpoise, right? You know. Those, those things that are like dolphins when they kind of hop in and out of the water. That's what happens with these cars. So what's happening is, is because of the underbody and the ground effects downforce, the cars suck so far down to the ground is that they're actually getting too close, hitting the ground or stalling. The car then raises up and then it sucks back down and you get this up and down effect. Well, on a bumpier track, it can, it's like riding a, a bucking bowl, man. Like it, 
And when you're going 200 miles per hour, these guys are slamming into the, you know, the cars are slamming into the ground and the drivers are having up to six G's of vertical force pressed upon them. That's a lot. All right. I want you to think about having six times your body weight pressed down onto the top of your head while you're sitting in a chair. Right. So that's think about that compressing down on your spine. That will cause injuries. That will be an issue for drivers. And the FIA is going to be regulating that bouncing. And so what this does is, is we, and we have to wait for the, what the regulations are going to be and how they're going to monitor and stuff like that. But what this does is it says, hey, to all the teams, hey, you guys can run your cars, however, but if you are putting your driver in what we deem, you know, danger, right? Or just unnecessary um, risk in terms of injury, then you will be penalized. And so it allows the teams to still be aggressive in terms of the setup and pushing the cars to the limit, which is what they should be doing in F1 when you spend that kind of money. That's what we want to see. But they need to be able to do it without endangering the drivers. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Like I said, they were just starting to gather the data this last week. Um, the FIA is fairly smart when it comes to making changes to stuff like this or implementing rules. Um, there is obviously a lot of politicking that goes on um, with Formula One. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But hopefully they they provide some form of solution to it in terms of protecting the drivers while not killing the performance. So we'll have to wait and see on that, but I wanted to share that just because after last week's rant and then this came out, I wanted to make sure we covered that, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, me and Keith are going to be doing our franchise fantasy draft. And I'll explain to you what that is right after this. All right. So, like I said, I had this idea this week um, and basically sent Keith the parameters of this and I'll explain it to you guys what this is. So because it was a slower week, I was listening to on my way to my day job, I was listening to a podcast and they started talking about, um, uh, you know, like the greatest players of all time. And this was in baseball and they were talking about pitchers and the guy who was talking about it, he didn't really know what he was talking about, at least in my opinion. Um, and look, I'm not some expert that works for ESPN, but when you start telling me that, you know, hey, this, you know, hey, Garrett Cole is already better than, and you list off this laundry list of pitchers, I'm, I, dude, Garrett Cole's fine. He's great, man. But don't tell me he's better than like prime Pedro Martinez or Felix Hernandez. Like, you stop. Okay. No. Yeah. Just, yeah, stop. But, Baseball aside, it gave me the idea. I was like, I wonder who we would pick if we could pick not just the drivers, but the drivers in their prime, right? And so this kind of got my wheels turning, so I came up with this idea. So what me and Keith are going to do is, is we're going to do a draft, and it's purely fantasy. So me and Keith had just both magically hit the, the, you know, the Powerball of all Powerball lotteries at the same exact time. You know, we, the, the, the Powerball was 5 billion and we each get two and a half billion. I don't know, whatever the amount of money is. And so we're now starting our race teams and granted we, uh, you know, we're 
at this point of this story. We're too old to drive the cars ourselves because I would obviously be driving for myself before putting anybody else in my car. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but in this situation, we can't drive. So we're going to be starting a cup team, a World of Outlaws sprint car team, and a USAC team. The cup team will have two drivers, two cars, two drivers. The World of Outlaws team will have two cars, two drivers. And then our USAC team will have a USAC sprint car and a USAC midget. Okay, so we're going to pick a driver for each one of those cars. And the stipulations is the drivers that we draft has to have been a full-time driver in the 2000s to today. So basically from the year 2000 to today, they had to have been a full-time driver. Right. They don't have to be driving anymore. They don't have they can be retired, but they have had to have at least been a full time driver during that time period. And we get them for their prime. OK, so we're dry. We're you know, if I'm drafting just to use an example, right, if I'm drafting prime Steve Kinzer, right, even though his prime wasn't during, you know, the, the 2000s, right but I'm getting him during his prime, right? That's kind of the the idea behind it, the concept behind it. And it is a draft. So once somebody is taken off the board for that car, we can't take them, okay? This could be fun. Yeah. So we're going to do this basically one after the other. Keith, you will go first. You can draft for any car you want, okay? You can do the NASCAR, the USAC. It does not matter the order. Okay, you can pick whoever you want when you want. So you're up. Alrighty. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick things off with a midget. If I was to start a midget team, I would I'd hire Brian Clausen. I knew you were gonna draft him at some point. I just didn't know when. Or not to. Yeah. I just didn't know when you would. Okay, Brian Clausen. I figured you were going to draft him for the sprint car. I I got somebody else up my sleeve. Okay. All right. Well, then. I am going to make my first pick. And I am going NASCAR right off the bat. And although it kind of pains me to do this, it's kind of hard to argue with it. Um, I'm going to draft Jimmy Johnson. The dude is tied uh, with the king and Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, he is on, you know, the argument can be made whether or not he's the greatest, but I, I watched it intently and the dude was incredible. He's still incredible. The fact that he's even doing what he's doing right now in IndyCar is insane. And I will not be shocked if he if he gets a win in the next, you know, year or two, however long he does. I think he's going to do it a couple of years. I would not be surprised to see him get a win. So, yeah, I'm going to take Jimmy Johnson. I like it. I like it. All right, you're up. I'm going to stick in NASCAR. And I am going to pick... Probably somebody that I think could give Jimmy Johnson a run for his money. And I'm going to pick Tony Stewart. Ah, damn it. You took my other driver. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, that was, he was my, he was my other pick, man. 
Yeah, I Tony Stewart, prime Tony Stewart is Oh, you can't go wrong. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's he's incredible, dude. Um drives the wheels off the car, brought the bad boy attitude, and he's he's a smart race car driver. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly smart, you know. I think one of the things that drivers like Tony, which is so incredible because, you know, people will be like, well, I mean, he's only one. He's only won like three championships. It's like, dude, do you know how hard it is to win a cup champion? Like, do you have any idea how hard it is to, yeah. like, to win? Jimmy Johnson made it look easy, but yes. Tony Stewart had to fight for his three. Yes, exactly. And, you know, to win those championships and go through, you know, basically to deal with all the stuff that he had to deal with while doing it was incredible, man. So, yeah, Tony, Tony Stewart, he's the guy you can put him in anything and he's fast. So, so yeah, yep. awesome pick there. Okay. So for my. I'm going to go next with the outlaws. And this is, this is actually, this is kind of a dream pick because he only ran one full season Ooh. in the sprint cars. But um, I think if he did run the outlaws full time, he would definitely be a multi multi-time champion. And that is Kyle Larson. If I could I, get that I, kid, I to, yeah, if I could get that kid to run an outlaw team full time, uh, I would, I would take him any day of the ah, week. Well, guarantee, uh, absolutely, and yeah. you could guarantee you'd win a shitload of races. Yes, exactly. And it may be a couple championships or more. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that that's my that's my pick. One of my picks for the outlaws. I like it. All right, you're um, up next. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick in the NASCAR. Let's okay. see. This is gonna be kind of a dark horse, but he's a young guy. Pick Tyler Reddick. Ooh, I like that one. Just because I mean, if you put Tyler Reddick with a veteran, and this ain't knocking Austin Dillon by any means, but if you put him with a a veteran that could take him under his wing and help progress him as a race car driver, make him a champion real quick. Yeah, and look, I get it. It's not knocking Austin Dillon, but let's just be honest. Austin Dillon's not Tony Stewart. I mean, no. <laughs> let's just be and, let's be completely honest about that. <laughs> and and right now, Tyler Reddick's making Richard Childress look better than what they really are. Because if yeah. you take Tyler Reddick out of the equation with RCR, they're struggling. They are definitely struggling. Definitely struggling. All right, so I got my next uh, pick, and for I'm gonna lock up my other outlaws pick right now and i am going to take the 10 time champion donnie shots no surprise if i could I get mean, prime it, it donnie shots in my car that would be uh that would be awesome imagine that team rolling in though. that would be so awesome yeah. dude that's Kyle why Larson that's why i love donnie. doing stuff like why this yeah load up and go home exactly <laughs> exactly that's why it's called fantasy man because it's it would be it would be incredible Uh, your pick. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off in the outlaws. Uh, I think I would. Um, I'd call Sheldon Hodenshield tomorrow. Ooh, Actually, right now, one. I'd call him right now. You're hired, kid. That's a good one. Yeah, he is. 
I mean, look, we've been on we've been on the Sheldon Hodenshield bandwagon this whole season, uh, and it's and so far we've looked like profits. I mean, he's got seven wins. Um, I talked about him last season as somebody that I thought once they got kind of the cohesion figured out, he would be a force to be reckoned with, and they have been certainly that this season. So, oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely. I think. I think he is on track to have a career year. I mean, he's mm-hmm. already in career wins, but yes. I think he's going to give Brad Sweet a run for his money for the championship when it comes down to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think he is going to be definitely a challenger. I I I think going into the final month of the season, um, he is going to be right there challenging. You know what I mean? And and I think it's helping him that Brad Sweet's not hitting on all cylinders for whatever reason. Yes. But that's that's why we love racing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I uh I'm with you. I he's he's incredible, you know. I I would I'm a, I am a Brad Sweet fan, but I would like to see Shelton get the get the championship oh, this year. That yep, would be awesome. I'd like I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do my midget pick right now. This was a tough one because there's so many to choose from. There is. And I was having a hard time trying to figure out, you know, should I pick this guy? Um, should I pick him for the sprint card or should I pick him for the midgets? Like which one should I pick him for? And, you know, because I finally figured out. I was like, "All right, I know, I, I, I know who I'm going to pick for the sprint car." It helped me pick my midget drivers. So I'm going to actually pick the people's champ. I'm going to pick Dave Darland as my midget driver. Prime Dave Darland in a midget wow, was yeah. ridiculous, dude. Yeah. He was ridiculous, man. And he still is. Oh yeah, he's still good. He's, he's still he's, he's still good. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, when I mean, dude, when we that was right, because keep in mind that was right at the time where we were just getting into the midgets. You know, we had just started the race team, and you know, to to see him at that time just dominating, and you know, that was if you remember, that was that you had that just domination of the Lewis cars where. You know, yep. late nineties. And 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 I was actually gonna pick Jason Leffler, but he hadn't his run, I think his ended in ninety nine or something like that. Because he was yeah, in cup the next year. Yeah. 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 But you had Leffler, then you had Casey Kane, you had Dave Darlin, like those guys, it just it was just domination year after year after year after year. So so yeah, Dave Darlin's my pick for uh for my midget driver. I like it. And the good thing is, like, if you were to hire, if if this was real life and you'd hire Dave Darland, he's going to get the best out of the equipment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially when I'm getting prime Dave Darland. A lot like this non-wing guy that I'm about to pick. Yeah, who's that? Levi Jones. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. I like that one. He was on my list. It it was a toss-up between him, John Stamber, and Timez, and... And not to knock Stambro or Timez, Levi Jones at the time before he retired was still winning races, was oh, still yeah. on top of the USAC world. And then he handed the crown over to 
Brian Clawson. Yeah. What did he, didn't he win like five championships in like seven years or eight years yeah, or something, something like that? that? Yeah. Like, it was something yeah. ridiculous. Like from like 2005 to 12 or something like that. Like he was on an incredible run. Yep. It was insane. Yeah. And he, and he was actually a, a, a mellow dude. He was a cool dude to talk to like the handful of times that we raced with him. I could, he was somebody that I could go pick his brain and he had no issues with it at all. Now as car owner at the time, he kicked me out of the trailer once, but that's for a different, that's a different <laughs> time for a different story. But I'd, I'd hire Levi Jones in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, we're going to stick with the sprint cars here. Um, Levi Jones was on my list, but for my use to sprint car driver, I'm going to actually take JJ Yaley. Ooh. JJ Yaley, in my opinion, prime JJ. Oh my God. And prime JJ in a sprint car in a USAC sprint car was insane. He still is. He still is top three on the greatest drives I've ever seen in my entire life. I've talked about it numerous times before. That night, I watched him at Manzanita. We were down in Phoenix for the Copper World Classic, and I watched J.J. Yaley put on an absolute clinic at Manzanita in the sprint cars, and it was just what that guy did, and this was during that run where he was just on fire, where he was you know champion early 2000s, was insane, man. It was just insane. So, yeah, I mean, that dude would, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003... Um, you know, oh four, I think too. Uh, dude, when that guy showed up in a sprint car, it was who's finishing second. Like he was, he was right. the man. So yeah, JJ Yaley's like my it. my pick. I like it. All right, you got one pick left. It's the outlaw sprint cars. Who you yep. going with? Ah oh, man, this is tough because there's a whole slew of drivers that you can pick from. Yes, who's there your is. Two? I picked Kyle Larson and Donnie Shots. That's right. That's right. Um. Damn it. I got to think about this one for a second. <laughs> Just because, I mean, damn, there's so many, so many guys you could pick. But I'm going to, I'm going to go with Jason Johnson. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. It's another what if. Mm, what if that is a what if, absolutely. Wasn't tragically killed because mm-hmm. he was, he's a bad mother in a in a wing car yes he was he was very bad um yeah and like you said another one of those what if what if drivers it's unfortunate that we have as many of those guys as we do because yeah he was he was definitely definitely a good driver man so yeah i like that one that's a good one all right what do i i got my oh i got one more cup spot left all right well this was actually pretty tough, man. I I was trying to figure They're out. They're all tough. I know. There's so many people you can I know. choose from. And and Tony Stewart was gonna be Tony Stewart was my tiebreaker just because you know I like smoke so much, and um, I was like, well, you know what, my my thought process behind it was this. Obviously, I could pick Earnhardt, you know, and obviously that was my favorite driver. And Earnhardt in his prime, I think, could drive anything. But I don't know how I don't know how my man would like the new cars, the newer cars. So yeah. because of that, um, I'm gonna pick 
Jeff Gordon. Uh, with his open wheel dirt background and stuff like that, I think he yeah. would be able to adapt to him better. And obviously, he's still one of the greatest to ever do it. So, so yeah, Jeff Gordon. Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm literally picking the Rainbow Warrior, but at the end of the day, the guy was one of the best to to ever. Yeah, and I and, uh, car. And he's a driver that was just judged on so many ways. I mean, yes, I've he was. never seen a race car driver be poked fun at about being the Rainbow Warrior. Yes. But outside of that, that dude could drive just about anything at his yes, time. Yes, he is. You want to talk about, you know, what if stories. You can make a legitimate argument that if Ray Evernham does not leave that team, Jeff Gordon goes down as the greatest of all time. What those guys were 100%. doing at that time was unprecedented. It really was. And when Evernham leaves, you know, it starts this domino effect through Hendrick. This that's how you end up with with Chad Knauss and all, you know what I mean? Like and, that's how you end up with all these different things. Because if I'm not mistaken, didn't Robbie Loomis he replaced Evernham, right? Um, I believe it was uh, Robbie Loomis, yes. Because they kind of did some musical chairs there for a little dipped. bit. They dipped big time. Mm -hmm. And yes. then they started to come back up, and then they dipped again. And I can't remember who replaced Robbie. Damn yeah, it. it was... I can't remember that neither, because they had so many different people go through there. Yeah. Because for a time, it, the only consistent team was the 48 team. You yeah, know I mean, like they were that they were basically the 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 flag carriers for the longest time. Because I, I even think Alan Gustafson played musical chairs. Yeah, um, so did Steve Latart. Steve um, Latart, that's they who all did. crew chiefed for yeah. Gordon after Robbie. Yeah, Lennon. Steve Latart. Because he left Jeff and then went to mm -hmm. crew chief for Dale Jr. and yep. Dale went on a hot run in fourteen. Yep. yep. So. So yeah, you could definitely make the case that if 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 Everham doesn't go do the Dodge thing, you know that they're they're you know they've got seven championships and not Jimmy Johnson. And there's there's a whole lot of what if stories in that whole situation, like mm -hmm. Ray Everham going and starting his Dodge team and hiring Jeremy Mayfield. What if yep. Jeremy Mayfield never left or yep. never failed a drug test or whatever? But that's that's a whole different ballgame. Yep. Yeah, because that's, you know, because that's where you then you start looking at what happens, you know, with the other but, seat and Casey Kane and all that, you know, the, everything's yeah, always like, got like, all these different effects to it. Like I was just about to say, and you touched on it briefly there, Casey Kane, what if, what if Everham doesn't start Dodge? Yeah. That Dodge team and Casey never comes to NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people don't know this, but Casey had a contract, I believe, with. Ford, if I'm remembering correctly, he, did. he had a contract yep. with Ford. And I actually was told this story by Casey's cousin, Willie. So when I was back in North Carolina, my buddy Lee Watson worked for Casey Kane on the sprint car team. At the time, Willie, uh, Casey's cousin, was the, the crew chief team leader of the sprint car team at that time. And one night, me and Willie and Lee, we had drove out to Concord Speedway to watch, I can't remember, I think it was like a Hooters Pro Cup race or something like that. And when we were coming back, 
Willie told us the story of how Casey, what they had to go through to get out of that contract with Ford for him to be able to go run for Everham. And it was, it was not easy. Like it was a, it was, right. a, it was very, very difficult. Um, it was very, very difficult. So, well, in, in, in every driver, and this is why I like racing. Every race car driver has a unique story, right? Oh, absolutely. So like, like Kevin Harvick's story, his is very unique. He was driving the Spears and then went to the 98 with um, Darty mm-hmm. that owns JTG or co-owns. He had to buy his deal out to go run for Richard Childress. And I think at the time he had to pay like hundred or $150,000 to yeah. buy himself out of his contract, which back then that's a lot of that money. That was a lot of money. Yes. And, and even now it's still a lot of money, but as an up and coming race car driver, uh, that's a shitload of money at to that just time. Yes. Pull mm-hmm. out of your rear end. And then uh, that's when the whole him and Ron Hornaday connection becoming really tight. Yep. And it, it's just awesome. I love I love listening to the unique stories of how guys got where they are. Yeah, me too. It's 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 what gives us the connection to the drivers. You know, we've talked about it before, and it's one of the things that um, I think NASCAR needs to start doing a better job of because there is so many of those yeah. unique stories out and, there. And it and like the the only unique one that's fresh in my mind now that's happened in recent time is the Chase Briscoe story. Yeah going and volunteering at an ARCA team and sleeping on Ross Weiss's couch for a couple years and then finally getting that chance at an ARCA test and then, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to run the full season. And then yep. now look at it. I think he's the only cup driver in NASCAR, period, that got his ride purely on talent and not money. Yeah, it reminds you of Ernie Irvin, right? Ernie yep, Irvin, a lot. you know, showing lot, up like. and and sweeping the shop, and you know, it's just, yeah, those stories are incredible when you hear about them. And yeah, I'm with you. I love hearing about them too. They're awesome, and so, yeah, definitely, definitely cool. So to recap on me and Keith's fantasy drafts, um, for Keith's cup team he's got tony stewart and tyler reddick for his outlaw sprint cars he's got sheldon Hoddenshield and jason johnson and then on the usac side of things he's got levi jones in the sprint car and brian clausen in the midget uh for my cup team i've got jimmy johnson and jeff gordon on the outlaws i've got kyle larson and donnie shots and then on the USAC side of things, I've got Dave Darland in the midget and JJ Yaley in the sprint car. So those are our fantasy drafts. Um, we're not going to do anything else with them. It was just for fun. <laughs> so we could talk about race car drivers right, since so that's what we love to do. <laughs> who, who, whose team wins the most championships? Yeah, out of exactly. All that? That's that's the hardest <laughs> thing to figure out, well, man. One of the listeners. Yeah, you figure that out. Exactly. Yeah. You guys can tell us who you think would win the most championships total. Uh, and let us know because I'd be interested to hear that. I obviously think my team would, but of course I could be wrong. I I think my USAC team could be pretty dominant. That's the thing, man. Everything would balance itself out. Yeah. Like you, you might have a powerhouse in NASCAR, but I could be back here laughing at you because I got a powerhouse on, on the dirt stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, that's why we Brian Clawson. That's like a cheat code. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not fair. (laughs) And that's why I picked him in a midget because I feel like he was a, and this is no takeaway to him at all. 
he was a badass behind a non-wing sprint car, a wing sprint car, and a midget. But he had his most success in a midget. Yes, he did. Yeah. Well, look, you had him number one on your sprint car driver list. Yeah. On your top and, ten drivers and list why. of sprint cars. And that's yeah. why. And you look at what he did in a midget, and it was it was incredible. Yeah, he was. He was the insane. he was the Kyle Larson before Kyle Larson. He really was in that type of term. He really was. And I mean, it, it's it's uh, what it, he it, could have accomplished is just like he's like amazing. He said for it. Yeah, it's it's, it, it, he's, it's the, what it he's the Bo Jackson of racing to me. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and what I like about it is. And I think him and Kyle Larson are so comparable because of the fact that they both came from California to Indiana, running dirt tracks all across the country. They both go to Ganassi at a time when Ganassi was not very good in either sport, mm-hmm. whether it's Xfinity or, or the Cup Series. Because yep. I, I feel like Brian wasn't given a fair shake in the Nationwide Series at the time. No, uh-uh. And, and that team just struggled with yep. any driver. I mean, hell, they had Dario Franchitti, of all people, trying to run full-time. Yeah. No, I think Ganassi has always been one of those teams, in my personal opinion, where his his NASCAR reputation was really molded and carried by his IndyCar reputation, right? Yep. Like, that's that's always how I felt. You know, and you go to the IndyCar side of things, Ganassi, they're like Hendrick. You know what I mean? Like they're they're the they're the 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 team. And on the NASCAR side of things, they've never been that. They've never been that. Right? I don't care who they've had driving for them. They've got and, runs of good luck or, or good yeah, runs and stuff like that. Won. won races and stuff. You know what I mean? But in terms of just being like the team, they've never been that. And you know, no. when Kyle Larson went there, there was people who were talking about Kyle Larson as if he was gonna be a bust. Because he'd only won like one race or something like that, you know. The well, first yeah, well, like one or two races yeah. and then just struggled. Yeah, and it was like, dude, it's not Kyle Larson. It's the team. The team. It's Ganassi. Yeah, so. And, and it's so comparable mm-hmm. to when Kevin Harvick was at Richard Childress for all yeah. them years. Yeah, they won a crap ton of races. But as soon as Kevin took himself out of the situation at RCR yep, and went to Stuart Haas, he evolved his whole career yeah and at the age that he was at the time which is insane to think of that he was in his late 30s and won the most races he's ever won in his career with a team in a short span mm-hmm. and and then turned around and and won like 15 poles and he's not a he's not a pole setter no. never has been he's no. never been notorious for it. but it, it's similar I, yeah. as a race fan i think it's awesome yeah, me too. So, so that's our fantasy drafts. Now, before we go, we do have a ask three wide question this week. So, if you guys want to send us in a question about anything, um, just send it to ask three wide at gmail.com. That's ask the number three wide at gmail.com. And this one is from Pete. Pete says, Hey, Tommy Keith, love the show. I wanted to ask you about something you talked about a few podcasts ago. You mentioned that race teams should be. Hold on. How did you. You mentioned that race teams should. Your spelling is a little off. So that that's okay. Should be. 
You mentioned that race teams should be set up as marketing businesses, but I don't understand why. Could you please clarify? Thanks, Pete. Okay, so but he spelled should with a W. Sorry, Pete. That's why I kept getting confused there, man. I didn't know if it was should or showed or what. I was like, hey. Okay, so um, Pete, what I was talking about, and I remember this conversation. We did this. It was a few weeks ago. So yeah. Good catch on you. I don't know if you were just getting caught up on the pod or whatever it is, but what I was talking about in terms of race teams being set up as marketing businesses is that is all a race team really is. Okay. It, in racing, when you look at any, any sport that is driven by sponsorship and that's how racing is. Racing is driven by sponsorship dollars. Even if you look at the F1 side, right? Where there's hundreds of millions of dollars on the line for the constructors championship, right? At the end of the day, it's sponsorship that drives those teams, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, all of it. It's all sponsorship driven. The reason you would want to set that up as a marketing business, and, and you can do that. And that's the thing that most drivers don't understand, or most race teams don't understand. When you set it up as a marketing business, what happens is is you are essentially marketing for whatever the sponsor is, right? Whatever sponsorship you have, whatever sponsorships you can bring in, you are promoting and marketing for that sponsorship. The vehicle that you are using, no pun intended, just happens to be a race car. It's no different than running, you know, advertisements on Google. It's not, it's right. not. It You're just running advertisements on a, on a wing panel or a door, right? Like that's, that's all it is. So. When you do that, what happens is now your world in terms of business expenses and tax write-offs and stuff like that changes. So I'll give you an example. The, the business that I run, the sim racing business that I run, okay? I have an LLC, which is Thomas Brand Adventures. And then under that LLC, I have three brands that operate underneath it. I have... SSR, which is School of Sim Racing. I have the Esports Racing Network, and then I have the National Auto Racing Club, which is my league. SSR is the primary generator of income, okay? Yes, I do generate some money off the broadcasting, but it's very few and far between because I don't really use it. I don't broadcast to make money. I just do it to kind of help people out, primarily my own league. Well, my league, the National Auto Racing Club, that is a expense for SSR. We use the league to help promote the school of sim racing. So when I get awards for points championships and stuff like that, that's a, that's a marketing expense. Okay. That's what that is. That's a marketing expense. If you set up your race team as a marketing business, understand that the cost to run your business is a write-off. So your tires are write-offs, your fuel is a write-off, the parts you break is a write-off. Like you see, I mean, that changes everything. Now, understand a write-off does not mean free. This is where people get really screwed up. You yeah. still have to pay for the parts. Definitely not free. <laughs> no, you still have to pay for the parts. But if you are successful, and this is where it becomes beneficial, if you are successful and you are actually earning money you know, when you go to the races, even if it's just a couple hundred bucks, that money now at the end of the year, 
instead of you having to pay a bunch of income taxes on it, right? And all that sponsorship money that you're bringing in, having to pay all these taxes and all stuff like this, you have all these expenses that you get to write off as, as, as tax, you know, and that, what that does is that reduces your tax liability, your taxable income. Okay. So that's why it can save you if you want to operate. If, if this is, if you want to operate a team as a for-profit venture. Okay. So obviously you have to be good. You got to be making money and stuff like that. You got to have a lot of sponsorships, but if you can do that, right, it makes it that much better. And not only that, if you are a business, if you are considered a marketing business, it's much easier for a company or another business to give you money for sponsorship and advertising as opposed to just some race team, right? If I come to you and I say, hey, let's say you're a business owner, all right, and you've got two options and I'm, I'm, I need sponsorship money and I come to you as, you know, uh, BC Marketing Ventures, right? Or I come to you as, Tommy Brandon racing, which one sounds more feasible, right? Which one sounds more like an actual marketing venture? Well, of course the, the marketing one does. And it just makes it easier for, for companies to, to give you money. It really does, believe it or not. I know that sounds trivial, but it does matter. I learned this a long time ago um, from my man, Ron Matthews. It was one of the smartest things I ever learned um, from him. Keith, you got anything to add to that? Um, I mean, from from my standpoint, we we looked at our race cars rolling billboard. Yes, absolutely. And, that's what and, they are, and and that's what our sales pitch was to sponsors that we had, and sponsors that we tried getting because we didn't have no fancy trailer. We had mm -hmm. an open trailer, so we're like, look, not only will race fans at the racetrack see it, but People driving home from work or driving to the store, gas station, whatever, will see this car at all times. It'll, it will be seen going to the racetrack, from the racetrack, at the racetrack. And then and then one thing we offered to every sponsor is once a, once a year, or if that sponsor was holding an event or like an, an, a customer appreciation day, we would take the car down and we'd put it on display. And not only would it help that sponsor, but it would help the others be seen too. Absolutely. So like there was a time where Advanced Auto Parts, my local store, not the franchise brand, but my local store sponsored us, mm -hmm. sponsored us oil. So they had a customer appreciation day where they had a cookout and all kinds of other stuff, a big event going on. And we took our car down, put it on display and. Yep. We were sponsored by an embroidered company that did all of our my racing suit and everything like that. It was noticed and it brought in revenue for that business and and it helped us in the long run because we in turn the following year got more money from her. She's like you guys brought in a lot of revenue for me just on that one event so we're going to give you more. Okay, yes. great. Yep. And that's so, that's huge. That's huge. And, and, and as far as running it like a marketing, you, you have to. Yeah, you, you would do. have to. And, and there's no way around it because, I mean, it, it like you said, it's sponsor-driven. Without mm -hmm. sponsors, you don't have a race car. Yep. You don't have employees. You don't have this. You don't have that. And, and that's why I, I uh, 
how newer fans going to dirt races and enjoy the weekend, enjoy the time there, but also go help a driver, go buy a shirt. Yeah. And that's a big marketing campaign for the, mm-hmm. uh, their dirt racers is their merchandise. That, that's yep. where they make their money from is the merchandise. And, and you kind of got to run it like that. Yeah, you do. It, you do, man. And that's another thing. And, you know, and, and Pete, I don't know if you are a, a driver and you've got a team or trying to get sponsors or, or whatever you don't, you don't say here in the email, but that's something that if you are, for all of you out there who are listening to this, who are drivers and, and trying to find sponsors, you need to let them know the benefit of sponsoring you and your, your team, your car. One of the biggest benefits is a tax write-off. Absolutely. It's, you know, I don't think people realize how big of a benefit tax write-offs are. They're huge, huge. I would, I would, I love tax write-offs. You guys love them. I reinvest so much money that comes, the amount of money that comes into my business. I reinvest so much of it because it gives me tax write-offs. And understand that it allows me to do a lot of good with it, right? I'm not just out like frittering it away, you know what I mean? But I, for example, I donate money every month to charities, okay? I do that because for one, if I'm going to have to, if I have to give my the money that I earned, right? If I have to give that money to somebody, I've got a couple of choices, right? Option A is the government, no offense, but I'm not a big fan of how they spend my money. I'm sure you're not either. We can all sit and talk about paying your fair like share anybody. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, every single person takes every tax break they can get. All right. So the less money that I give them, the better. And option right. B is a charity. I would much rather give my money in terms of you know, just one charity, for example, St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I give them money every single month. And it's because, look, that money has got to go somewhere, right? I don't get to keep 100% of the money I make. I have to either pay it off and I have to pay taxes on it, or I need to find a way to reinvest it, whether it be through a tax write-off or a donation or something like that. So I would much rather give that money to a good cause and help, you know, help kids out, right? Like, because I mean, think about that situation. And that it it's it's a benefit for both of us. It helps them. It helps them raise money, and it helps me, right? Give me a tax write off. So you've got to show them the benefit of it from both sides. And it's like when we were racing. When I was racing, my my race cars and and anything that was purchased for racing was was purchased under my dad's business. Yes. So my dad got a big tax break Mm -hmm. for. He wrote a whole sprint car operation off as a tax break. Yep. And that's that's and, what you want to do. That's why you see yep. so many of these go to your local dirt track and and look at the cars. And you'll notice that a lot of the local business owners, they got their they they're out there or the drivers either, the, the drivers who have lo- who own local businesses, you'll notice that their local that their business is the primary sponsor. It's because they're writing all that stuff off. And, <laughs> and not only on the cars, but go to your local dirt track, short track, asphalt track, drag drag strip at that. Yeah. And, and you'll see all these banners of yep. local businesses. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a tax write-off and yep. another one. 
Yep. On top of if they sponsor a driver or a car or other things. And and it just helps everybody. Yeah, and, and that's one thing that we would pitch when we would go get sponsors or try to at least. Is not only it would get your name on our car, on a racing suit, or whatever, on a hero card. It would also help you by giving you a tax write-off mm-hmm. as PR. Yep. You're, you're advertising. Yep. At the end of the day, if you are a business that earns money, that you actually generate a profit, you have to have a write-off. Got it. Yeah. And and you you need to spend money on advertising and marketing anyways. So why not do this when it's a write-off? You know what I mean? Like that, 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 that's all it is at the end of the day. And it gives you more exposure. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, that's, that's really the reason why Pete, um, you know, and for the most, if you look at the top, the biggest teams and stuff like that, they're all, all of those, uh, race teams and stuff like that. They're, that's what they do. You know what I mean? They, it, it, their business, right. might not be called, you know, it might not be, it's Casey Kane racing, right? It's not Casey Kane marketing, but at the end of the day, they're, they all incorporate and do all this stuff like this, you know, LLC and stuff. So they're, they're set up as businesses. They are marketing and, and branding businesses. And that allows them yep. to write all that stuff off. And- and then you kind of got to watch it too, because you kind of turn yourself into an ambassador for that, that sponsor. Mm-hmm. You, you are the figure of that sponsor. So if you do something that is going to put a negative effect on not only you, but that sponsor, then it could cause a ripple effect where where you could lose it. Yes. And that's where you got to be a good marketing manager per se, when you're dealing with, I'm going to say million dollar companies. Yeah. Companies that bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and you just got to treat it like a business. Yep. Exactly. Yep. That's why results don't always matter. They don't No. If it was just about results, if it was just the best drivers, right? The sponsorship world would be very, very different, but it's not, you can be an average driver and obviously, we're that's relative, right? An average driver oh, in, Cody in Ware. NASCAR, right? Or average in Outlaws. Yeah, you know, Cody Ware, for example. You could be an average driver and have the best sponsors if you are an awesome person, right? If you are good in front of the camera and good with the, you know, good with kids and, and good with fans and stuff like that. It's not just about, you know, whether or not you're winning. Yes, that that helps, but... You don't have to just be the best. A lot of people, I've had people ask me before. They'll say, dude, how do I get sponsors? Go out and ask. It's amazing what can happen if you ask. And that's one thing that I struggled with. Like I'm not, at the time, I wasn't good at talking in front of people. Mm -hmm. I was not. I was not very good at it at all. And and like me and my dad sat down. He's like, what's the worst that could happen? Them say no. Exactly. You don't know that until you go talk to them. They could say yes. Which is even better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's even and, better. And, and like he always said, it, if they say no this year, go back next year. If they say no that year, go back again. Keep mm-hmm. going back and keep hounding them. Yep. I mean, don't pressure them to where they're like, oh, just never come back again. <laughs> yep. Like we went, we when we were racing, we were trying to get our local Budweiser distributing company to sponsor us. They sponsored Modifieds. They sponsored the Modifieds points results or point standings, the point fund deal. Well, then they backed out of sponsoring that that modified driver, and they posted, hey, we're going to sponsor a race car. We don't know which race car yet. And so 
me and my dad's like, well, this is a good opportunity because he was given or that business was giving this modified guy like a hundred grand a year or something along that lines. So we're like, well, what's worse that could happen? Them say no, but this could be a good opportunity. And I think we him hauled around with them for two or three months just talking. Yeah. Yep. And eventually it was a no, but yeah, but the, you never know. You never right. know until you and, try. And then like me and my dad talked about it. If we didn't go try, that, that's one less person we didn't talk to. Exactly. At least they know you now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, Pete, there you go, man. Um, that's that's the reasons why we talked about it. So uh, like I said, I don't know your situation, if that's what you're trying to do or, or what. But yeah, just that's that's the deal. So, But yep, you guys, that's going to do it all for this week's show. We will be back um, next week. We will be back uh, on the 30th. Um, so yeah, um, enjoy the high bank nationals this weekend. I know I'm going to, um, even when I'm working, I'll be, uh, I will be, uh, watching it on my phone. So, <laughs> so, but yeah, hope all everybody, everybody has a good weekend. Um, you guys, as always, thank you very much for listening. Please make sure to download, follow, um, share the show. Uh, you know, let's keep growing this thing, you know, the grassroots way. Um, you know, like I, I've said before, uh, the numbers keep going up slowly, but surely, and that's all we can ask for. So thank you guys very much for that and, uh, keep doing what you're doing and, yeah, me, thank and you. me and Keith will be back next week to do this all over again. So until then, as always have a great weekend. Take care. <laughs>